maybe you're here this morning and you've been running from God. I want to invite you to open your heart and be willing to let God speak and move in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in a place where you need to run to God. You have drifted away or the struggles of life have become so intense that you simply need to run to Him. I invite you to begin that process now. Maybe you're here this morning and you've come to the place to where you're running ahead of God now. You believe you've walked with Him, but you're taking matters into your own hand and you're running ahead and asking Him to bless and catch up with whatever you're doing. I invite you to come to a place in your spirit where you run with Him. Cry out to God and say, God, I just want to walk and run with You. I have been away. I've been ahead. I've ran to You, but God, now I want to run with. So Lord, I pray that You would speak to me. You'd convict me and You'd bring transformation into my spirit. Lord, we ask You to do this. In the name of Jesus, amen. We'll be in the book of Jonah this morning and Second Kings, but at this point, if you would turn your attention to the screen. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now, when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. (laughs) And my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is going to make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things. But I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down. To be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. It may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, 
show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen? Jonah, a man who many of us can identify at least some point with during our lives. You know, if I'm a critic, if I'm an agnostic, if I want to discredit the claims of Christianity, this is a story that I'm going to go to and I'm going to say, pardon the pun, I really have a hard time swallowing this one. I mean, you think about all the things, all the stories in Scripture, and if there's one that you just got to go, I don't know about that old fish swallowing thing. You know, that's a good kid story, but come on, give me a break. You really believe that? Now, there have been documentations, and there's a lot of debate that goes with it from the 16th and 17th century of fishermen getting swallowed by fish and then living. At the end of the day... It's still hard for most of us. End of the day, it's one of those they look at, and if you're going to try to look negatively or make a sarcastic comment about the Bible, this is a great place to do it. A man who gets tossed over in a turbulent sea, and a big fish swallows him, and then he gets, happens to get vomited out, on the land. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Think about it. And here's the, here's the real truth of it is. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It really is completely dependent upon what your view of the world is. Do we live in a closed system like we talked about a couple of weeks ago? The system's closed. Naturalism. Everything can be explained by biology, chemistry, and physics. If it does not fit into one of those criteria, then it just isn't possible. It can't, and it doesn't, and it has not happened. Or do you live in an open system? One of theism, where you believe that those laws apply, but should God choose to, He can always supersede the laws of physics, biology, and of chemistry. He can choose through his omnipotence, his omniscience, his all-knowing and all-powerful self, to interject himself at any point he sees fit. Now, I cannot explain that to you. There is not a program, there is not a system that this is the way it occurs, and if you do these things, it will happen. We can't manipulate it. It doesn't always work for us. As a matter of fact, it usually doesn't work for us. But I still believe it occurred. And one of the reasons I believe it occurred is because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus references Jonah. 
He talks about the side of Jonah, and he said, just as Jonah was in the well three days, so, so will I be. So Jesus believed it. And then in 2 Kings chapter 14, I'm not going to make you read this, but in 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning with the 23rd verse, we, we hear the prophecy of Jonah here. Jonah reigned in a time when Israel was starting to kind of come back after destruction. Matter of fact, Jonah prophesies ahead of time. He gives the word that under Jeroboam II, who wasn't really, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings, a particularly great king or godly king, but nevertheless, the people were crying out, and because of God's mercy, he chooses to preach this word through Jonah, this prophecy, and it was good news. We are going to get our land back. The oppressors will get off of us. The economy will return. It's a good sermon. It's a sermon if we preach it today, we can pack the house. That's right. This is what's going to happen. The economy's going to get better. We're not going to have any problems with our enemies. Forget all these terrorists. Forget everything else. Things are going to get better. It's all coming. It's a good sermon. And people like to hear it. I mean, he was a popular prophet. I mean, people were saying, come to my house for dinner. Matter of fact, here's something for Christmas. Here's something for, for your birthday. Here's something for Thanksgiving. I mean, they liked Jonah. It was a good word. It was a good message. Very popular. People want to hear that. Tell me about how healthy and wealthy, and in spite of my sin, things are going to be for me. Tell me that I won't have to worry about oppressors coming across into our lands. And Jonah was able to deliver that message. Hey, God is going to restore everything to you. Good days are coming. And so he preached that message, and he was very popular. Problem was, a few years later, God invites him to preach another message. And it's not nearly as popular. Not only that, I don't get to preach at home. I have to go overseas. I have to go to our most hated enemy, the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, let me tell you, they were bad dudes. Matter of fact, I was reading a couple of historians ranked them in the top three or four worst uh, armies or worst militaries, most sadistic militaries in all of history. I mean, they would take their captives and the children they would kill, the women they would take as slaves, and the men, they would do one of several things. Some, sometimes they would cut their nose, their ears, and gouge their eyes out and then just send them out into the woods. Other times they would skin them. And then what they would do frequently, they would take the heads of their enemies and they would pile them up uh, as a monument before their city so that all knew anybody who oppresses Assyria, when Assyria comes, you better bow down and worship because we take no prisoners. We don't play games. We are bad to the bone. And they have earned that reputation. And the Israelites have had to experience the wrath of Assyria. And Jonah certainly had heard it from his parents and his grandparents. The atrocities of the Assyrian army. And they were the hated ones. They were... The Al-Qaeda. And to go and preach a message of repentance, are you kidding me? How would you respond? Well, I don't know that I would be real excited. Probably you wouldn't either. What if you were a Jew 
Here it is, Nazi Germany, in the height of their militaristic machine. And you're supposed to go and preach a word of repentance. (laughs) Oh, that sounds good. I think I'll go to Hawaii. That's what Jonah says. Not literally. Turn the Bible with me to Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it. He's given the commission here to go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, that word great doesn't necessarily mean it was great for tourism, but it was, it was the capital of Assyria at this time. So it was very well known. Some scholars say that the walls themselves were 50 feet wide and 25 feet high. It was a huge city, probably around 650,000 people, and very well known amongst the world, particularly for its brutality. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Here's your commission, and then here's your mission. Your commission is to go to Nineveh. Your mission is to go preach repentance. Tell them that they need to turn. Go to the enemy and tell them. But what did Jonah do? Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, the opposite direction. Nineveh is probably about 500 miles this way. Tarshish is anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 miles the other direction. So he's going to get approximately 2,000 miles away. And probably what Jonah is thinking I'm going to get away far enough, and it's going, to, it's going to take me so long to get there that God will get somebody else to take care of this. I mean, you think about it. How do we respond today when we are convicted? Well, numerous ways. One, we simply ignore it, pretend like we didn't hear it, and try to get other things in our life, get real busy and kind of crowd it out. Sometimes we simply reject it, as, no, as uh, Jonah did. Or maybe we project it onto something else. Well, you know, so-and-so would be better for that. So-and-so could tell a neighbor, or so-and-so could share, or work, or give, or whatever. They need to do it. It's their turn. I don't have to. Or, we can just simply say, tomorrow. I'll get to it later, tomorrow. I think may be one of Satan's greatest tools. Just tell us, just tomorrow. Just for Not now. You can get to it later. It's interesting. You see in this chapter that four times in the Hebrew the word down is used. That Jonah goes down. And I think that's indicative of what occurs. How Jonah goes down, down, down. Further and further away from God. But yet he cannot escape the presence of God. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, notice that Jonah is now in a storm. But what's interesting to me is this is a storm that Jonah has created for himself. 
You know what I've learned? I've learned that about 60% of the time, I, I deal with somebody almost every day that's in a storm. And about 60% of the time, it is a direct result of bad choices. Not always. Sometimes we have cancer. Sometimes people that we have tried desperately to help or we don't even really know real well or we don't even know what they've done has a negative effect upon us. But close to half the time, we make choices that enable a storm to occur in our life. I believe sometimes God simply allows those so that He may get our attention. That's certainly the case here with Jonah. Not only that, his storm has a negative consequence for others. Sometimes when we make bad choices, purposefully and willfully make bad decisions, it doesn't just affect us. Particularly, our families sometimes are affected. Sometimes it's our friends, sometimes it's people we work with, sometimes it's our neighbors. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now these sailors are, from what we know, they're, they're pagans. They have no belief system in Yahweh God. They don't really know Jonah very well. Maybe just because of later on the passage, he probably mentioned something about who he was. Maybe he had to sign on about his nationality. Maybe he told them a little something about his journey, how he was trying to escape from God. But they're polytheists. They believe in multiple gods. And so it's, hey, whatever needs to occur here, that's, that's fine. But now the storm comes and they begin to pray to their gods, the gods of the sky and of the sea and of the wind. But nothing is happening and then you see that word, and you know, your translation may use blow, but in the Hebrew, down. But Jonah had gone down. He'd gone down to the deck. He'd gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So here's the storm occurring. The winds are blowing. The sea is turbulent. Yet, Jonah's downstairs asleep. I just want to get away. I don't know why Jonah was asleep. I don't know if he'd taken a sedative, an iQual. I don't know if he had a little too much to drink. I don't know why Jonah's asleep, but he's asleep during the storm. The storm that really is a direct result of his choice. And others are experiencing that storm. And Jonah's down under. He's seeking to escape that which he causes. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? What are you doing sleeping right now? Get up and call on your God. Look, here's what we know. We're about to die. The plane's going down. I need you to call on your God. We, we need help. You may not be able to sail, but you need to pray. You ever convicted when people who don't even have a relationship with Christ, who don't know God, sometimes, in a sense, are more spiritual than we are? Maybe more moral? Maybe more righteous? You've got to be convicted by that. How can you sleep? Call on your God. Maybe He will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Now, casting lots is, was a very popular form of determining uh, the decision that needed to be made during this time of history. We even see sometimes being used in Scripture. 
And we're not, we're not exactly sure how it went. You know, I was always taught when I was a kid they probably drew straws. But uh, probably they actually was more something like they had stones that had some inscription on them. And they would pull them out of a receptacle or they would throw them uh, on the ground or however they did it. And they would, from that, uh, you know, let's just say it had the black rock or had the red rock. And that was the person. And they did this. They went through this process. And when they did it, it landed on Jonah. And they looked at Jonah. The Bible tells us here. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. They're asking, what God is it? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And then Jonah, all of a sudden, he gets self-righteous about his theology. I mean, he knows some theology. He knows some Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He's been told the stories. He, he's in the know. And now, all of a sudden, I've been running from God. I'm running away from God. I certainly hadn't told you about His goodness. Now, I'll tell you who I am. And this is what he pronounces to them. He says this, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. I'm a Jew, and I worship God Almighty. Make sure you know that. I'm a Christian, you know. You can trust me. Maybe you should just exercise your business in a way that you don't have to say that. Maybe that would be better. Excuse me. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. They said, what have you done? And they knew he was running from God because he had already told them before. I'm running from my God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then it will calm down. You know what I think is interesting? Why didn't he say, sell us to Nineveh? Let's go to Nineveh. Everything will be all right. I mean, Jonah's like, I'd just about rather die than go there. You ever been there? I do not want to go to Nineveh. I mean, they are so bad, and I hate them so much. I hate what they did to my forefathers. I hate the stories. I hate the things that I hear about them today. They are the antithesis of what I stand for. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Throw me in the sea. Ever been there? I don't want to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it. Pick me up and throw me in the sea and he'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I know I've caused the storm that we're in. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder before them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. And they threw him overboard into the raging sea. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. At that the men greatly, and the sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. All of a sudden, they're convicted in spite of Jonah, the man who wants to run away. You know what that does for me? That teaches me one little lesson is the sovereignty of God. I always want to be encouraged by the sovereignty of God because sometimes we'll think, I, I can't share with that person. I can't help him. I, I don't know exactly what to say. 
I don't know how to exactly tell them about Christ. I might mess it up. Can I tell you this? The sovereignty of God is bigger than what you are capable of doing. God's looking for people with the right heart, not with all the right words. So many times, you know, Jonah had the right words. I worship Yahweh. Matter of fact, I'm a prophet. I'm a pastor. I have a big church. People like me. You know, it really didn't matter right then. We're all dying. We don't care. Pray. Shut up. Pray. I go to church over there. I serve. I do this. I help out this charity. I do that. We don't really care. What about me? What, are, what is your message? The truth? What hope can you offer? Just as the young lady was sharing earlier. Here's what we know. We know that God is real because when they threw him over, all of a sudden the seas calmed down. And they worshipped in spite of Jonah. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the inside of the fish for three days and three nights. God provided a way where there was no way. It was one of those times that God had to intervene. Had to transcend the laws of earth. It was the only way that salvation could occur. And so I believe he did, as Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 believes he did. But what about us? What does this have to do with you and I today in 2008, living in the Metroplex? Well, I think there are a few lessons that we can learn. We see the commission that Jonah was given to go. We see the mission that he was delivered to give, or he was to give, in spite of his bigotry. In spite of his fear, we see his defiance, even though he fully comprehended and understood what was to occur. His lack of compassion and his lack of fear of God. You see, his nationalism and his fears and his pride were greater than his faith at this point. So God allows the storm into his life. You see, sailors and people who don't know of God who are convicted and who recognize that God moves. How convicting must that have been? How humbling must that have been? He sees the consequences. And then he sees God's deliverance as he's tossed. And the fish comes about. Well, what does that story teach me? Well, one, it tells me that I cannot escape the presence of God. No matter where I go, as David says... No matter where I flee in Psalms 139, there is the presence of the Lord. And though I may drown it out with substances, may I drown it out with things that I chase for the moment, it does not erase the fact that God has called me. All men are capable of receiving and responding to God's divine providence. God's divine word. There are those who had never heard of the word of God. They had heard of Yahweh probably, but that's all they knew. And yet they had firsthand experience and they sacrificed and worshipped him. The sovereignty of God. Man's temporal values can stand in opposition with God's values sometimes. Sometimes we let things that we believe so strongly in Squeeze out the Spirit of God. And those things may be good things. 
But good things can become our idols if we're not careful. God is personal and is concerned about our spiritual well-being. He's gracious and loving. And the real story of Jonah is not about a man who got swallowed by a fish, but it's about the greatness and the grace of God Almighty. It's about the omnipotence and the omniscience, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God. There are three things I believe we need to walk away. First of all, we need to recognize that sometimes God uses storms to get us to where He wants us to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you're right in the middle of a storm. The winds are blowing. The sea is turbulent. And you just want to quit. Maybe it's a storm that you've helped produce, or maybe it's a storm you had no part of. But nevertheless, you're in the midst of a storm. One of the questions I believe God wants us to stop and ask is say, God, what do you want me to glean from this time? How do you want me to grow? How do you want me to minister? Don't make it all about yourself. But let it be a time where God grows you and matures you and gets you to where He desires for you to be. Maybe you've been praying that prayer. God, grow me in love for you. And then here comes a storm. Number two, remember that God is in the storm. Even if you've been asleep, even if you've been running, God is still there. He's in the midst of that storm. There you go. Max Licato tells a story of how in a certain Indian culture they would take the boys out when they were 13 and send them out with no weaponry, no line of defense, and they would blindfold them and take them miles and miles away from their camp. And at dark time they would unfold the blindfold and they would leave them there and tell them that we'll come back in the morning to get you, but this is a time to prove your bravery. And the boys would hear coyotes and maybe even wolves howling. There would constantly probably be sounds that caused great fear. And they didn't even know how to get home because they didn't know where they were. And then when daylight would come, they would see that their father was standing there with a bow and arrow in hand, ready to step in if necessary. It's a picture for us when we're in the storm. Though you don't see Him, though you do not feel Him, though you do not sense Him, does not negate the fact that He is there. And thirdly, God will take you through the storm. He will take you through and it probably won't feel like you want it to feel. It probably won't look like you want it to look. It doesn't mean that there won't be costs, that it won't be difficult, that it won't hurt. But God will take you through the storm. What about you this morning? How's your running? Are you running from God? Are you running ahead of Him? He's not done the things that you thought He had put a vision in your heart for and you're just kind of running ahead and... Moving on without Him. Are you in that place where you're running to Him? God, I've messed up enough. I've tried things my way. I'm, I'm headed your way. 
If not, that's the first step. The second step is to begin to run with Him.